Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, we are just about two weeks away from the 2023 UCF season opener. It's time to start making some predictions. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Charge On. As always, I am your host, Sean Green. It's always one of the better episodes when we can get this man on. He's always electric. He always brings the spunk to Charge On, and it's almost football season, or it's we're right on the cusp of it, so you know what that means. Nick Geddes finally decided to show up to work. Nick? <laughs> First of all, you, I, I appreciate the introduction, but you're setting you're setting me up to fail here. Electric brings the spunk. I don't even know what the, I don't even know what spunk means. I don't either. It just came to, to me in the moment. It sounded great. I don't know if I describe myself as electric and spunk, but regardless, it's good to be back on here uh, as we get closer to the season. What we, we're 14 days away from the day we're filming right now. What are we 14 days away? Yep, from the is- opener. Uh, from the opener against Kent State inside the old bounce house, which I'm very excited, and I just might make some some room in my schedule to make it up for th- up there for that Thursday game to start. So excited, and here I am. I'm here. You got me. You got me through all of football season. Now you got me through all football season. See, that's the that's the positive thing. We took the the painful six to eight months of you know not being able to have Nick consistently to. Two episodes a week, you'll see this ugly mug on your phones, TVs, wherever you watch us or well, hear that's, him. That, if you- that's, hurt, that's hurtful. That's hurtful. From bringing the spunk to being called, said that I have an ugly mug. You always start with a positive and then you give a negative. You don't want ever, yeah, anybody to get too high, right? If you've um, known how our, our friendship has gone, this is how it goes. This is, this is how it goes. This is Charge On in a nutshell when uh, Nick Geddes is on, but so grateful that you have decided to uh, join us on Charge On. As always, thank you guys for tuning in, liking, subscribing, sharing, doing all that. The support on the channel has been amazing and insane as always, Um, and we're continuing to uh, see it grow, and especially with football season right on the horizon, we're excited to bring you all uh, two episodes a week, starting not next week. I think next week is our final one episode a week, and then we'll be uh, working overtime, as we keep saying, uh, two episodes a week once the season starts and gets kind of kicked up a notch. But I thought today would be, listen, we're done with conference realignment. Thank God. We, we I, I promise you, UCF fans, those two to three episodes, like back-to-back-to-back on conference realignment, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to record that. I'd rather be talking about fall camp, but it was the news that I had to discuss. So we are pushing that to the side. It'll come back up next offseason when we need stuff to talk about. We now have fall camp. And Nick, we've learned. I mean, it's been about two weeks. We've had two scrimmages. We are starting to hear kind of the names that we're like, huh. There's some names we obviously want to hear, like John Rice Plumley. everything we're hearing good about him, and we'll get into the certain position groups, but we thought, listen, we're two weeks away from opening kick. Depth charts are going to get released probably right before the game or, or maybe a week before the game. Why not we do some depth chart positions and 
or predictions and start kind of looking at these players and seeing who could probably step up this year and maybe who might take a step back and might maybe not see the field. So um, I know we both have kind of looked at the roster and been hearing things from the coaches and everything. But first of all, I just want to get your quick thoughts, right? You've been hearing stuff from the team. Obviously, we still have two weeks to really prepare and make sure we're on our P's and Q's about everybody on the team, all 80-plus guys. But kind of what are your takes right now? Obviously, we had the conference realignment talk. But I will say, UCF has been one of those teams that there's. it's not like they're an underdog this year, surprisingly. You would think that, oh... UCF, new team going into a big conference. They're going to struggle. But it seems like everybody's kind of viewing UCF as the team that could make some noise, could could potentially go to a Big 12 championship game. I heard that on uh, Unnecessary Roughness on Barstool, how you have Jack Max saying, hey, UCF might be in the national or in the Big 10, Big 12 championship game. So what does it say about UCF now that people, they're in a big power conference and they're not the the small team anymore. It's they're already getting praise for Gus Malzahn and how he's built this team. Well, first of all, to that, I'm going to pump the brakes right now <laughs> on any talk of of not to break anybody's heart. I'm going to pump the brakes on any talk of this team uh, making a Big 12 title game. There are going to be a lot of things, a lot of factors, and a lot of players that are going to have to just knock my socks off. I guess if that's going to happen, my expectations. Without going full, and I know at some point we'll go and give our full schedule predictions. We'll go through it, but my expectations—if you can give me—and I think I think most UCF fans are on this. If you can give me six wins, seven, hell, eight would be fantastic. Eight and four. If you told me we're going to get eight and four, I'll sign me up right now for the first year of the Big Twelve. But that's kind of where my expectations are. Whereas on the low end, there, I think if things go south, I think they're probably a four and eight team. I think that's probably their floor. I think their floor is four and eight. I think their ceiling is eight and four. So those are my general expectations for the season, what I like to see. So far, looking at the roster, looking at through camp, listening to the coaches kind of speak about this, it seems like there's been a a good influx of the youth that has come into this roster now. Obviously, the guys that we have grown to love from recent years, whether that's John Rice Plumley whether that's R.J. Harvey, whether that's uh, Javon Baker, the Kobe Hudsons of the world, the Trayvon Morris Brash, and on and on and on. Those guys are still here in the building, and those are still your center blocks. But you look at some of the other guys who are starting to make an impact and climb their way up this depth chart and get some playing time right away. You think a guy like Randy Pittman there in that tight end room. You think about a guy like a Braden Marshall who might have a big opportunity there in the secondary. That's what I think I'm kind of focusing on right now because I think this is a good year for UCF. It's obviously, I think, a little bit of a transition year to where you kind of dip your feet a little bit into the Big 12 and see how you match up to some of these other teams. And I think it's going to be invaluable experience with these young guys. And at least so far, it seems like some of these guys, and throw John Walker in there obviously as well, are going to have a shot to be day one impact players. Yeah, I said it on in the zone on 96.9 The Game. Uh, I said it about the ceiling and floor. Brandon asked me about expectations. And I said, I think the I believe, and I, we'll talk about this next week, because I think next week we'll probably do our all of our predictions a week before the first game. But I kind of said six wins. If, if you can get to six wins... That is, I think you can view it a, a good season. Because at the end of the day, if you, you start with three wins, 
right back to back to back, which Boise is not an easy game, and we'll talk about that next week. You start with three wins. If you can't go three and I don't know how many conference games, nine, if you can't go three and six, then you might look at that and say, uh, that's you're gonna yeah, struggle. I, like like I'll even I'll even say like just in general expectations, I'm gonna give it it gotta be patient. Patience is a hard thing when you're a college football fan. Like I remember, think of expectations, how much they changed. Was it last year they opened up with Louisville? And SC when State. They lost, yeah, well, the Louisville game though, right? When yes, Malik they opened up in week two. Right. When they lost that game, I was there and I'm walking down the, uh, down the stairs there at the bounce house and I'm saying to my buddy, I'm like, God, this season's already underwhelming. We just lost to Louisville and it's, we're not going to be that team that I thought we were going to be. Like, that's how I was thinking you're like literally right away. Whereas you lay a stinker early on against like a Baylor or something like that. I'm going to be more, you know, like let's pump the brakes a little bit. It's okay. Let's breathe. The big thing to me with this team is it, it starts with recruiting and we've already established for the moment, it's a top 25 recruiting class for the 2024 if you can stack two to three of those classes in the top 25, then I think we can start talking about Big 12 championships and all that. But for now, we will temper the expectations. And we will get into more of that conversation next week. So again, right. please subscribe and stay tuned for that. But let's get into this depth chart and kind of discuss the way that we're viewing things. I'm going to give, we'll just call it Charge On's predictions. So basically my predictions and Nick kind of will chime in and discuss kind of if you see anybody changing, if you think somebody else should start, if you should, we'll just do it that way so we can kind of get all of our thoughts out. So let's start with the quarterback. Not really a hard sell here, but everything we, I want to get into it a little bit because again, Nick, I think the excitement for me right now is because every single coach and every single player has made it out to be like John Rice Plumley is going to be like a top 10 quarterback in college football with the way that they are speaking. The way they're speaking is Coach Hinshaw has fixed his footwork and he's dropping dimes. He's dropping balls right into the bucket of the receivers where exactly they want them, which gets me so pumped. And I've been saying it for weeks that every time they say something like that, it's getting me to actually believe it, and it gets me excited to watch it. But obviously, your starter, John Rice Plumley, give your kind of thoughts before we get into the rest of the quarterbacks and where they lie. But how much excitement, but also hesitancy, does that bring to you when you hear stuff like that about JRP? Again, I, I truly give it zero, zero of my, of my attention. I truly do, because... I know who John Rice Plumley is at this point as a quarterback. I think he's a uh, a decent option around college football. I think he's a decent option. I'm not trying to throw dirt on the guy or anything like that. I think he had great moments last year. I also thought he had some deer in the headlight moments last year. Remember we were we were talking about Mikey Keene as who was who ran the offense better. When did it look better? The fact that we were having those discussions last year should say something. Uh, now that he's got a full season under his belt, he, you imagine he'll be a little bit more comfortable this year. Uh, he's going to be now playing in his third different conference. I think this is the one definitely that kind of fits his kind of play style. Um, and expect. I think it, it all starts with me is he's going to use his feet to, to lead this team. And I think that's his biggest weapon, obviously. But in the passing game, and I think he has a really underrated deep ball. I truly believe that with John Rice Plumley. As typical, and this is the thing that I think they struggled with last year, 
those intermediate routes, the 10 to 20 yards, I think that's where you need to see some improvement from John Rice Plumley going into this year. Not saying he can't get there, but again, the talk of he's going to just take over college football and potentially be a top 10, I don't know if I buy that. I buy him right now as a, a decent option. I truly believe that the next great UCF team, and, and clearly because this is his last year, is not going to involve John Rice Plumley. But for this season, I think he's a nice, decent option to get you in the first year there in the Big 12. See, I semi-disagree because I believe I'm going to give it a six-game six window. Because obviously I remember SC State and he lit up SC State and we are like, if this is the quarterback we're getting for the rest of the year, then we're looking good. And I think in this case, right, we're opening up with Kent State. I am assuming John Rice Plumley to light Kent State up, probably throw for five, six touchdowns, and we're like, Hinshaw's offense is amazing and the deep balls are immaculate. Well, then you got Boise the next week. And that's no walk in the park. And if John Rice can go into Boise State on the road and put up a really good performance, and then you follow that up at Villanova, and then say you go into Manhattan at Kansas State and also put up a good performance, then you're really like, if if John Rice it proves in that first four to six game span, because again, I do believe in a year one to year two jump. Playing, He was playing receiver, playing quarterback now, had a full year under his belt quarterback, got injured. I think they're not going to run him as much. So again, we'll get into more specifics when we kind of get prediction-wise, but I am enlightened to hear everything I am hearing, and I am open-minded to believe that improvements have been made, while also being hesitant to understand I have seen 13 games or 12 games of John Rice Plumley, and I know what I've seen on the screen and expecting right. that I, if I'm watching. I will say this, and I'll, I'll bring up this example because I follow them very closely, and that's Florida State, but I think it applies here. Uh, Jordan Travis has been around Florida State for a long time. First couple years that he was there, if you would have told me this guy was going to lead Florida State to 10 wins or 11 wins or whatever it was at last year, I thought you were nuts. Okay, I just never thought he really had that next gear in him. Last year, clearly showed there's a next gear. This year... What's everybody saying? Dark horse for the Heisman, Florida State potential college football playoff. It can happen, okay? And I think there's a lot of similarity in those two guys' games, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. So I don't want to shortchange him by any means. I think he's a very talented player. It's just the consistency in a game-in and game-out basis, and especially when, like you just mentioned, the competition is going to ramp up after you get past the first three weeks of the season is when you're going to find out who John Rice Plumley is. And if he's a quarterback that can lead you to six wins, which I will take, or if he takes the next step and you can somehow get to that kind of eight range. That's true. And we all know the Big 12 is not known for defense. So if no. if there's any conference to do it in and to light a conference up and to kind of lead UCF to victory, it would be the Big and if, 12. And if he does falter, then my boy Timmy McLean will, will finally get his opportunity. So let's, we'll get into the rest of those. So yeah, for, for the charge on depth chart, I do have Timmy McLean going number two, Dylan Risk going three, Xavier Williams going four, and then Gunnar Smith and Brock Hansel kind of going five. I'm not doing five and six, but... I will say, Nick, we've been hearing great things out of Dylan Risk. I think the negatives we've been hearing is obviously rookie mistakes. Trying to learn the playbook, making maybe one right throw or right play. But, again, I'll say it again. I was on In the Zone, and they asked a a very honest question because we've been talking about this even before the end of last year of 
who will be after John Rice Plumley? Who is going to precede John Rice Plumley? And I think we were open to the idea it'd be Dylan. But again, it was a true freshman coming in. You'd never see him on a field. We just assumed it's going to be a transfer. I said, I still believe it's transfer. But with everything we're hearing about Dylan Risk, they said him and Timmy are neck and neck. The only reason I'm putting Timmy at number two right now is just because, again, Timmy has a full year under his belt. You got to believe that he'll end up, if John Rice Plumley goes down, they're not going to throw a true freshman in there. That is, you know, it. You don't, it's not like we're hearing about Dylan Gabriel. I'm not hearing Dylan Risk is basically Dylan Gabriel oh, no. and he's going to no. play first game. But we are hearing good things where they're like, this could be a player. He looks the part. He, he's doing everything right. And he could, be a, he, he could be a player. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's number two. But kind of give your take on the quarterback areas and, and especially Dylan Risk, who, again, true freshman coming in and I guess proving himself. Right. Like I said at the beginning here, it seems like the the youth that's in this roster, the inexperienced guys who are getting their first crack at this seem to really be impressing. And I probably should have thrown Dylan Risk in there because I have heard good things, as have you. And the coaching staff talks him up. Um, yeah, I, I think he has a chance to maybe supplant, you know, Timmy as that number two. I think maybe I'm a little bit more higher on Timmy than I know. I, I know I'm higher on him than you are. I'll just put it that way. And I think part of that is is me being in Tampa and watching all of his USF games. And I thought there was something there. Uh, whether or not he'll ever get that opportunity at UCF, I don't know. It can't be a great thing if Dylan Risk is already breathing down his neck, to be honest with you, given the experience gap there between those two. And again, let's take into account, Timmy McLean has only played one year of college football. And he had a whole year, but he did have a whole year to sit and learn as a, as a, a red shirt. I've, I've been taking the red shirt year last year. Um, so I, I like to think we'll, we'll have a better Timmy McLean. But, you know, I think the, the big thing here is I hope we don't see either of them this year. End of story. As we don't see either of these guys, because if you do have to use one of those guys, I think it definitely prohibits their ability to win some of these games that we think they should. Um but yeah, I think for now, Dylan Risk just needs to continue to keep getting better. And if he if he supplants Timmy McLean as the number two, then that's a great thing. And then you could start talking about him potentially being the guy next year. No, yeah, and that's a conversation. You're right. I don't want to see any of them on the field. Uh, hopefully no. you run JRP less or slide. <laughs> sliding uh, sliding works as a quarterback. Yeah. Uh, not jumping over five guys and falling on your back or trucking guys. Um, so yeah, hopefully we don't see any of them, but that's kind of the way we're viewing it. We're going to do running backs and wide receivers kind of together. Cause obviously there's a lot. Um, I think surprisingly, I think the running backs are more interesting. I'll tell you why in a second, but obviously lead back RJ Harvey, uh, that was charge ons. We were begging for weeks to have RJ Harvey be the starter. We finally get that wish. Uh, cause he proved himself all year. Um, number two, surprisingly, I have Johnny Richardson and I didn't think I was going to say that. Um, we'll get into in a little more in a little bit, but Johnny Richardson seems like he's the number two back. Another surprise for me, Jordan McDonald. I have as kind of that third back. And I actually think at times he'll be the second back. I think Johnny, they're not really going to use him as a straight on runner. It's going to be in those passing situations, or if you just need a quick 10 yards and, and trying to catch him off guard. Demarcus Bowman, I have fourth, and I've been really looking forward to Demarcus Bowman. I think a lot of people are excited, but we'll talk about that in a second. And then five, you have a Mark Anthony Richards, Cam Ingram, and Preston Foreman. 
uh, as your kind of five, six, seven, or whatever you want to say. Wide receivers, Javon Baker, number one, Kobe Hudson, two, Xavier Townsend, three. If anything, those are those are going to be your guys all season long, barring any injuries. Uh, Xavier Townsend, we're hearing great things about. He's made that jump, and they said the, the jump he's made from year one to year two has been amazing. At four, I'm going to put Corey Gamage there just because even though we know the conditioning has been an issue, I guess, uh, I think a 6'4 receiver, you, you can go get some balls, especially in deep throws. Um, Jared Baker, Gerard Baker, I mean, we've been hearing great things out of camp for him. And then uh, Chauncey Magwin and Tyree uh, Patterson, freshman, another young guy, hearing great things out of him. So, Nick, kind of out of those two, we can start with whatever one you want first, but what's a name that kind of surprises you where they're at necessarily? I mean, it could be Demarcus Bowman, it could be Corey Gamage. What kind of surprises you from the running backs and wide receivers? Well, I mean, I will start with Demarcus Bowman because hearing him potentially being a fourth option, I mean, first of all, what does that say about your running back room? It speaks highly to it. Uh, But the other thing, too, I just feel like that guy just has so much talent in him. And you can hear all this talk coming out of camp and practices, but the talent shows out on the field. And I don't think anybody's going to debate that Demarcus Bowman's not a more talented player than a Johnny Richardson or a Jordan McDonald's, or he probably is really on par with RJ Harvey as a talent, if we're being honest. So wherever he's listed as a depth chart, I think when that guy gets his opportunities, he will eventually make his way to number two. I truly believe that. I think the talent there is just too hard to pass up. Uh, There's a lot of equity in the guy, obviously bringing him in as a high profile transfer, had to sit out for a whole season. Uh, I think he's going to get a good chance to carve out a role here. RJ Harvey clearly is the one. I'll just say it right now. I think that guy's going to rush for, you know, 1,300, 1,400 yards this year in the Big 12. Uh, I truly believe that. And he'll add something in the passing game as well. Johnny is a good little gadget piece, I think, in the offense, who I thought was a little underutilized last year, if I'm being completely honest, based on the flashes he showed the year prior in the offense. So maybe you get Johnny involved, but there's a lot of mouths to feed here. That's not a bad thing. Um But I think ultimately DeMarcus Bowman will get that shot. Um, And then to the receivers, I think this is probably the position that I feel the most comfortable with of the entire roster, whether that's offense or defense. You know what you're getting at a Javon Baker who was snubbed from the Bolitnikoff award list. And I can't really make sense of that one. I think he's going to be one of the better receivers in the Big 12 this season. Should get over a thousand yards if he stays healthy. So love him at the one. Love Kobe as a two. And I think Corey Gamage, I know we love Townsend and he's had a good camp and all that. I think Corey Gamage with the experience that he brings playing at Marshall and he put up some big numbers there and he's obviously a big body receiver, which is a little bit of a different profile from the other guys. I think they're going to find a way to get that guy involved. I truly do. I think those one through four guys are going to be really, really good for UCF this season. So in general, the skill positions for UCF I think is the strength of the entire team. And I think that's what gets you excited. Like we had good skill positions last year, but I think again, a year under your belt, Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson in the offense and seeing what, you know, they can all do running back wise. I mean, the recruits you're bringing in or they're not signed on the die line yet, but the recruits that are committing, you hit it right on the head with DeMarcus Bowman. I mean, I've been excited about DeMarcus Bowman for a while. I think many UCF fans are and many people in the U.S. when you talk about where DeMarcus Bowman is, a lot of teams and a lot of people are like, oh, he's on UCF. Let's see what he can do. I have a feeling, and again, I've not 
talked to any coaches. I do not know if this is fact or, or fiction. I have no idea. The vibe I'm getting is he still has fumble problems. And we saw it in the spring game. He looked electric, and then he fumbled in the spring game. I think that is a major issue for DeMarcus. And I think kind of when you're looking at reliability, when somebody is electric but can cause a lot of problems when it comes to protecting the football, that moves you lower on the depth chart. So you got a guy in Jordan McDonald who's year two, who's a big body back, who can come in, get you the yards you want, can move in between. And I get it. You're right. Like He should be the number two back, and he should be the starter next year. But if he's not reliable in protecting that football, then as electric as he can be, we don't want to be like last year against Cincinnati where we're on the five-yard line. We run the ball and fumble back-to-back possessions. And I think that's kind of the problem. But if he can protect the football, he needs to get on the field. And there's a lot of mouths to feed. But you got to find a way to get him in the game. Uh, wide receiver-wise, I mean, you again, I agree with you 100%. I think there's so many wide receivers. And again, more mouths to feed. But at the end of the day, you got to put your best three or four on the field at all times. And I think your best three are the ones that we keep saying. And that fourth spot, I think, is open for debate. It's like whoever kind of shows out in these first couple games and proves like, hey, I'm ready to make that jump. I'm ready to be that fourth guy. It's kind of up for grabs. Like we're not hearing much out of Chauncey Magwood. We're not hearing a lot out of him. So it's like, it doesn't matter where you came from. It don't matter if you come from Kentucky, SEC, you know, Big Ten. It don't matter where you come from you got to prove it in, in fall camp. And clearly the guys that are supposed to be proving it are proving it. And if you want that spot, it's up for grabs. Um, let's go tight end really quick. Obviously, Alec Holler is going to start. But Randy Pittman, kind of Nick, he was once committed to FSU. Uh, UCF offered him. Didn't know much about UCF. And he has proven himself to be a major player for the Knights in fall camp. Yep, and I think that's a guy. I mean, Alec Holler... Great story with him, absolutely. We'll forever captain. indebted to the captain, all those things. We we love the moment against USF. You know, we'll always have that moment for Alec Holler. But, you know, he's a player with, with limitations as a receiver. I don't think there's any shame in saying that, right? Um, and so it's not surprising to see Randy Pittman kind of standing out so far. And even being a true freshman – having a chance to step up in that role and be that guy. Not saying he's going to play more than Alec Holler, not saying that at all. But I think throughout this season, as he gets more comfortable, and that's a position too, that generally, at any level, it takes tight ends, a gener- unless you're Brock Bowers, and let's, there's not many of those just hanging around. It takes that position, I think, a little bit longer to get accustomed to the next level because there's a lot of nuances to it. And so I'm sure Randy Pittman will have his his ups and downs, like most guys coming in as a true freshman. But at some point throughout the season, I think they're going to try to see what they have with Randy Pittman, a very raw Randy Pittman right now, because I do think he offers more as a receiver than an Alec Holler does. Let me ask you this, and I think we both have the same answer. Definitely burns the red shirt this year for Randy Pittman. I would assume. I would assume. Yeah. Yep. 100%, I think he's getting his red shirt burned, and you're going to see him in some sets. Even if it's two tight end sets, put him out the field well, to yeah, again, and, be a and receiver. I think part of that is I think that position's a little thin. Yep. In all honesty. Well, and I think next year, if Kylan Fox signs on the dotted line, you have Randy Pittman and Kylan Fox. I mean, 
the two tight end sets with those two would be, I mean, I don't know how many people are going to be stopping that uh, with the receivers we also have. But, uh, okay, so we did all those. Let's kind of do offensive line, which has been a, a big topic of conversation, not necessarily uh, most of them, but the center position. Um, so I'm going to say the center position last, but we have Tylen Grable, obviously, at left tackle. I think Paul Rubel has really proven himself over the last year, and I think you might see him at times. Listen, I think the offensive line and defensive line, the coaches have said it, I think it's the most depth UCF has had in, I'd say, five-plus years, if that. Um, they have depth in its quality. Um, Amari Kite, He's obviously from Alabama. I think he starts at left guard. Again, you're getting big offensive linemen. That's great. Lukahi Paoli, he's going to start at right guard. And then right tackle, Marcellus Marshall with Ed Collins kind of backing him up. Ed Collins has, I've heard, done fantastic things in camp. And I think if Marcellus Marshall for some reason goes down, obviously Marcellus Marshall is a transfer. So you have two, or it's going to be three transfers on the offensive line. But at center, you've got a camp battle between three guys. Drake Metcalf, Bula Schmidt, and Caden Killer. Caden Killer, true freshman. I like, I originally thought Bula would start, Nick. I like, you kind of just assume, like, from everything we're hearing, Bula, Fresno State, I'm like, okay, Bula will probably start. He was the first guy that they got out of the transfer portal. But everything I'm hearing, and again, they said they're neck and neck, but every time Darren Hinshaw speaks, and again, I reiterate, if you're a UCF fan and you want to know as much information as possible, go watch a Darren Henshaw press conference. He tells you everything. He doesn't hold back. Every time, and this is how I learned about DeMarcus Bowman, because Darren Henshaw like waits until the very last second to talk about DeMarcus Bowman. Every single time he talks about the center position, he starts with Drake Metcalf. So it would not surprise me at all if when we see the, the actual depth chart, not the charge on one, the actual one, Drake Metcalf would be the starter. But I think, Nick, like we said, the quality depth on the offensive line is great. And I think if a center goes down or if center's not playing as well as we want, you have those guys backing him up that you feel comfortable stepping in and filling that role. Yeah, and I, I do think at least early on, I'm expecting it to be uh, a bit of a, a work in progress because you are integrating, you know, like you said, three-fifths of your offensive line at least is going to be different than the same guys we saw last year. Not saying that's a bad thing because I don't think the offensive line was great by any means last year. I think we would all would agree. <laughs> we would all agree there. Uh, and obviously it got you know, better towards the end of the year. It got gradually better. It did, but not to the level that they needed. But obviously, you know, Amari Kite, I think I don't have much worry there. Just the fact that the guy, and again, I know we mentioned it doesn't matter where you came from. You still got to produce, but we know if there's one thing we know about Alabama, we know a lot of things, but quality offensive linemen, they have them in, in, in bunches, right? And so the fact that Amari Kite was the backup left tackle, there's no shame in that given who Alabama has on that line. And obviously coming to UCF, I don't really worry about that one. Uh, but yes, like you said, the center position is kind of the one that's really up for grabs. And, uh, you know, you listen to John Rice Plumley at least if you go back to the media days last month and he was really excited about you know these guys that came in and it, and Drake Metcalf was one of the guys that was mentioned and called them you know they're hogs up there and they're huge and I think that's going to pay dividends in a conference that's a lot more you know physical than the one that we're coming from so whether it's Drake Metcalf 
or or Bula. It doesn't really matter to me. I think those guys will get the job done. I think they're both worthy of being starting caliber centers for this team. And the depth and having an open competition is only going to make those guys better. And But to your point, I think we might be leaning Metcalf right now of, of where this is going to go. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. But I also wouldn't be shocked to see Bula or even the true freshman, Caden Kaler. I'd, well, I'd be a little shocked if Caden got The true freshman will, will shock me a bit. Yeah, that that'd would, be that shocked me. me. But again, to hear that he's still in the running for it and that he's they're, they're fighting for the position, again, that, that really makes you feel good about the future. And again, we hear it with many names on this list. So that's kind of the offense, guys. That's pretty much the offense. Um, Again, kind of if you disagree with anything we got, say it down below in the comments. We really appreciate any comment, and we would love to see it. Let's get into the defense. And the defense, I'll be honest, I feel very good about the defense. And this is where, you know, I was watching Unnecessary Roughness on Barstool, and it's very funny because people that don't necessarily – we know UCF, right? We watch UCF. We know the players – the people that have to cover 15 teams or 30 or 45 teams, it's so funny. They say our offense is going to be electric, but the defense is going to be sus. And to me, I'm like, if you watched any UCF football last year, it's the defense saved our butt on multiple occasions and the offense struggled. So this year you lose a couple defensive guys. There's no question. But when we go down this list, I'd say starting wise, I don't know if I've been more confident in a defense in the last however many years. This is a t- this is a defense that I get the defensive coordinator change to Addison Williams. I understand that, and who knows what scheme? I know it's going to be kind of a different app. Like Travis Williams loved to blitz a lot, and that was kind of the way he played. I think Addison Williams might be a little bit more conservative and basically get after the quarterback, but also playing in a, a very conservative way. Um, let's start defensive end. Uh, Josh Seliscar is obviously going to be the starter there. We've been hearing a lot out of Malachi Lawrence. That's, you know, year two player for Malachi, and it's good to hear. And then Caven Call right after. Um, we've been hearing Caven Call again, another true freshman, making a lot of plays in fall camp. I feel more confident in Randy Pittman burning a redshirt than Caven, just because, again, it's really going to come down to, again, if Josh gets hurt then okay, maybe you'll see a Malachi lawrence Caven Call kind of duo. But I think if we're being completely honest, it'll probably be a Josh-Malachi kind of, you know, but Josh playing basically 90% of the snaps because that's what you need. But um, before we get into more of them, kind of give your take on the defense. Obviously, we're going to go through it all, but kind of give your defensive end kind of thoughts and, and defense as a whole with new coordinator Addison Williams. Right, and I'll, I'll start in the trenches, uh, and I'll even group the other guys in there. I think this is... One of the areas where UCF has a lot of experience there in that room, when you think of Josh Salazar, who I think I think he still has more room to grow. I think very high of Josh Salazar. We've seen it in, in flashes, but I think this is the year he puts it all together. Ultimately, we know what we're going to get out of Traymon Morris Brash, just an absolutely quality player there on the defensive line. Even a guy like Ricky Barber, who's been around, you throw the what we're expecting out of a John Walker. Uh, that, and to that point, because of all that depth they have there, you mentioned Malachi. I don't think there's a reason that they should have to, again, barring injuries, burn that red shirt for Cave and Call. Yeah. I don't think they want to get into that point where they're having to burn red shirts left and right. And I, I think that that if anybody's going to, you look at Randy Pittman right now because of how thin that room is as a guy that potentially could. I think they have enough talent there on the defensive line that they don't have to get to that point with Caven. 
but again, this is another position that I feel really comfortable in because we have some of like those two guys. I think they're Traymond Morris Brash and Josh Elazar. Those are two cornerstones of your defense that have played a lot of football for this team over the years. So this is at least in the trenches. I feel very comfortable about where UCF is. No, hundred percent. Let's do nose tackle and defensive tackle. Um, probably in my opinion, the scariest, uh, part of our defensive line. Uh, when I, when I say scary, I mean, actually scary for uh, opposing offenses. Uh, you have Ricky Barber and Lee Hunter. I mean, everything we've heard, we were kind of expecting more out of Lee Hunter last year, transfer from Auburn young kid. When he, he transferred, I think he only played at Auburn for a year recruited by Gus Malzahn. Everything again, everything we're hearing out of fall camp has been tremendous for Lee Hunter. Uh, he's in shape. I guess that was one of the big things was he came in kind of out of shape and and that kind of hurt him down the line, but he's in shape. So when you got guys like Ricky Barber and Lee Hunter as those right in the middle of the trenches, stopping the run game, trying to get to the passer, I mean, I think that's really what's going to be the defining factor for UCF season. Obviously, the edge matters, right? Getting to the quarterback from the edge, getting those guys on the end to get to the quarterback is important. But if you could stop the run and get to the quarterback up the middle, that says a lot about your team, and that's going to really improve your defense. Now, kind of backing up those guys is John Walker. And I think when you're talking about guys that could potentially burn the red shirt and and could really perform, I haven't heard a, like a lot out of John Walker. I've been hearing he's he's that type of guy, and he's great, and I could see him. He's the backup. So I could potentially see him playing a lot of minutes, but... It would be in a rotation thing where, hey, you got to get the guys to get a, a quick breather and bring John in there. So I do think John will get that red shirt burned just because, again, when you bring in a high-profile recruit like that, especially at a school like UCF, not knocking UCF, but I think you can use those type of high-profile guys pretty quickly. Um, I think those three guys specifically uh, can really, really make an impact on this defense. But kind of give your take. You've already mentioned kind of them already, but Ricky Barber, Lee Hunter, and even John Walker to a degree. Yeah, I think John Walker is you know probably vastly more talented than those guys, but clearly being a true freshman, I don't expect him to have a an immediate role right away. I think ultimately his red shirt will get burned. I think so. Uh, but Ricky Barber, I think, is the guy that you're going to see in there for a majority of the snaps next to Lee Hunter, who we're expecting to take a little bit of the step up. After those three guys, mm, I pause a little bit. Matthew Alexander, which is, you know, haven't seen just, him much. No, but, you know, they might just be guys right yep. now. So I'll, I'll pause a little bit uh, on the depth side of that kind of inner defense and then interior defensive line position. But I think at least with the ones, you have a pretty quality group that rounds out that defensive line as a whole. And I think, again, could be a strength, at least from the starting standpoint. Let's talk about linebackers. You have the buck position, then both linebacker positions. Obviously, Traymond Morris Brash, he played a lot of the buck. Again, I don't know if we're going to keep the same buck in night positions in this defense. We'll find out when this, you know, whole depth chart actually gets released. But he's kind of one of your main guys on that defense. Um, starting with Traymond, I think it's going to be Jason Johnson. Obviously, uh, he's probably the best you know, clearly the best linebacker on your team, highest tackler on the team. Um, and he proved himself a lot last year. Excited to see what he can do in the Big 12. And then a lot of debate went into this 
final one because a lot of people think, oh, it might be Ryan Davis, it might be Isaiah Paul, Sean Peterson. Um, I'm going Walter Yates. Obviously started a lot for UCF last year. I think you're probably going to see that again. I think what UCF went and did in the portal this year is get backups. And not bad backups, really quality backups that you could see starting. Ryan Davis, obviously coming from Georgia. He can he could flat out play. He can start for this team. Isaiah Paul, another backup. I think he could really also start for this team. And then Sean Peterson, what a story for him. I think he came from FIU. Now he was a running back, converted to linebacker, and, and kind of lit up uh, being a linebacker. So I think he's gonna. I think you're gonna see all these guys on the field um, because again, I think a part of this defense is gonna be kind of mixing and matching and kind of getting fresh legs in there a lot of the time. And with these high power offenses, you're gonna need that depth to be able to switch guys out. But kind of what are your takes on that linebacker also buck position and and the depth we have over there yeah i I think it's good to the point bringing in uh ryan davis obviously having isaiah paul there as well uh it's good quality depth like you said i think a lot better than what they've had in that position in recent years but i kind of echo what you say i think walter yates at least to start the year because of the familiarity that he has, all the football that he played last year in that position, I think ultimately he'll get the nod. Whether he stays in that position all year, I think that's going to be one of the bigger question marks because, to your point, Ryan Davis is coming from the the primitive program in college football, right? Again, to our point that we've been trying to say, just because you came from here doesn't really mean much, but when you're coming from some of these bigger programs like a Georgia, like an Alabama, I think it, I think at least I think of it a little bit differently and knowing that he wasn't going to touch the field at Georgia, but you come to UCF in theory, in theory, you should be more talented than these other players. But obviously there's a lot of other factors in there. And just the fact that Walter Yates has played in the, in the, uh, the defense already in that position, I think you will see him as the day one guy. But again, this is another position that I feel a lot better about their overall depth than I did last year. That's the common theme of this depth chart prediction. And I'm, when it actually gets released, as we said, I think it'll be the theme of the actual depth chart. The depth that UCF has taken on both the defensive and offensive lines, as well as the skill positions, is very noticeable. You are not going to have a situation where if a corner goes down, you don't have a good backup to replace him. Because in years past, we've noticed a top guy goes down and you don't have a quality backup. You're riding with a guy that probably be the fourth or fifth string on a, on, on a given team. That's no offense to those guys, but clearly Gus and staff have went out and got quality backups and quality depth to make sure that if a guy goes down, like if a Josh Seliscar for some reason went down, you have a solid backup option. And it's not just transfers. It's guys that you recruited early that are making an impact or are proving themselves throughout. So I think that is a common theme. Let's talk about kind of the cornerback, night position, safeties. We'll kind of bunch them all together. This position really excites me, Nick. A lot of transfers, but also a lot of guys that we know. Um, We'll start with the night position because I don't know. Again, I'm not sure if they're keeping the night position. I would assume they would be. But that was kind of, Nakai is going to take that over. It was Justin Hodges last year. Now, Justin Hodges is no longer with the team. We're not getting into that whole situation. But Nakai was right behind Justin Hodges. So you would assume that Nakai would step up and take that starting role. But like you mentioned at the top of the show, 
we are hearing amazing things out of Braden Marshall. Now, what I like about this new Addison Williams defense is everything we're hearing is Addison moves everybody around. So, like, Braden is learning every... He's learning the night position. He's learning safety. He's learning corner. So they are moving these DBs around to where, to be honest, you could throw whoever you want out there and they can play all these positions. I don't love that. I like to keep them at their specific position. But everything we're hearing out of Braden Marshall brings me excitement to say if he's on the field at some point, whether that be at corner, at the night, at the safety, that brings me excitement because again, anytime you can bring a true freshman in and they're better than somebody that you already have on the roster, you, you get hyped. And as, if he's better than Akai Martinez right now, and we know Nakai made plays last year, we're in for a good couple of years for UCF recruiting. Yeah, and to the overall point about the secondary, when you think about the fact that I believe they brought in, what, five transfers, if I'm not mistaking back there, I think that pretty yeah. much tells you of what this coaching staff thought about the guys that they had to roll with the last couple years. I think that Tubby tells you to the point where you look at a guy like a Corey Thornton, who I, I can't find a role for him to even step on the field. And I don't really think I want, I don't really think I want to see that happen. And I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. I think they have enough back there that they don't have to go back down the retread route known as uh, Corey Thornton. And, you know, some of the other guys they brought in and, and I think Jerry Wilson uh, is a, is another big one there that you have to mention. Played a lot of football at East Carolina, was a standout there in the American, and going here into his fifth season, again, a lot of football. I think that kind of changes your kind of outlook about that position. Uh, there at safety, obviously, DeCorey and Patterson coming from Middle Tennessee. Uh, that's another guy who's played a lot of football and has been a standout and a lot of experience. I think overall that's my theme here is there's a lot more experience back here of guys who are coming from some different backgrounds and you just hope that they can can really put it all together and then the big one Braden Marshall again this is a great great and it's not even really a problem it's just a great thing overall that you have two guys clearly both in their own right Nakai Martinez a, a little bit more of a higher recruit obviously than Braden but Braden I think still was a quality recruit and a good get that they got he was two being four some star guys two right four star he, was guys. Being, he was being courted from some big programs like Auburn and some others so he can play and the fact that he's already that he's right there already on the cusp of potentially earning that role as a true freshman that's a great problem to have that's a great thing so I feel very I feel a lot better I know you probably feel the same way I feel a lot better about this secondary as a whole and that we're moving on from the the Corey Thorntons and the Justin Hodgeses of the world and getting some better talent back there finally. So I'll say this. I 100% agree. I think Brandon Adams gets the start at corner. Uh, I think he proves himself, again, a bigger corner. Um, I think that's one of the only kind of corners that you'll still see play. Quadric Bullard I also love, um, and he's going to definitely start at safety. Um, but at the other safety position, you're right. I have Jairo Wilson uh, starting. Everything we've heard uh, from him has been positive things. They say he's making plays left and right. Um, so I would be shocked if I don't see him start with Damari Henderson backing him up. I think Damari, you know, early on, I think he didn't show enough in the games that he was in. Um, it, uh, his brother, probably more than him, I think Damari made some plays, but... 
Uh, Demari, I think, can can play. If he gets thrust into a role, I think he'd be able to play that role. But I think the reason why Addison is kind of moving some of these guys around potentially is, again, you mentioned some of the guys at, at corner, some of the transfers. DeCorian Patterson. Dude, we're seeing him in NFL draft boards as potentially going in the first round, which I didn't know about that until I started reading up on I said, uh, we're supposed to have a first-round cornerback on our roster? Okay. Um, so I kind of said toss-up. Like, I'm kind of conflicted. Toss-up between DeCorian Patterson and Jameric Morris. What I love, Nick, though, is I love these corners that are coming from small schools that put up really good numbers and have a chip on their shoulder. Jameric Morris came from, I think, Hutchinson Community College or something like that. I can't remember the actual college, but he was a big-time get this offseason. Because I, I think he was getting recruited by Alabama. He was like number 12 on the transfer rankings for corners or, or transfers at all in the community college or not community. I think community college. Whatever college down there, community college. He was up there in those recruiting rankings. The Corian Patterson, he was at, people wanted him really bad. So to your point, I think we're good. Like we have to see him play. At the end of the day, we got to see him play in this type of atmosphere in the Big 12. But I feel very confident in those type of guys to step on those field day one and say, listen, there's going to be some high-powered, fast offenses that you need to stop. Lock the guys down. Don't limit the big plays. Right. And the good thing about Corey and Patterson, and you mentioned, you know, mock drafts, whatever that is, you know, obviously, I think he's like six foot, almost 200. So he's got the size. He's like that prototypical size that you want out of your cornerbacks, which I think is very useful. And pay attention to last year. Middle Tennessee's biggest game was against Miami. And what did he do in that game? Eight tackles, two pass breakups, a couple tackles for loss and an interception. He might have been the best player on the field for that defense for Middle Tennessee. So the fact that he showed up in that biggest game, and again, Miami was not a great football team last year. And, you know, we could we could laugh about that if we want. I take great pleasure in doing that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the fact that he showed up in that game on the road, all those things, uh, he had all the accolades, led, I think it was Conference USA, I believe, that I think is Middle Tennessee, led Conference USA in interceptions, all those things. Like you said, a lot of production there. I think Could he led more the country. Seven, in, yeah. seven INTs, I think it was the country. Yeah, he might have led the entire country. I know he led the conference for sure. So the guy can flat out play. The guy can flat out play. And then, you know, some of the other guys, the, the two other transfers they've brought in, whether that's Fred Davis to Jordan Mask. I, think I didn't even talk the, about Fred Davis. Right. I mean, we forget about these guys because they brought so much talent in there. And Fred Davis is coming from Clemson. Again, one of the the big programs in college football that have been running the show here for the last few years. So whatever you get out of him is a bonus at this point. But the fact, again, that that is a backup option says so much about where they're at from a depth standpoint in the secondary where they just haven't had it in the past few years. Yeah, and I'm not saying the lease is short by any means, but... To, again, like you said, have that depth right behind you to know if a guy is just struggling, hey, even if it's for a game, even if there's just a matchup that doesn't work well, you don't need to say, okay, we have to go with it because whoever our backup is is just not even close to our starter. Here, you have a lot of good quality guys that, guess what? If you've got a quick, speedy, 5'10", lightning boulder of a receiver that's just killing a 6-3 corner, guess what? You have different options at corner. Be like, okay, let's move this guy on this guy because I think we can match up better there. 
And you might get put a bench player in there that can be a starter that game. So again, we'll see it. Like we'll have to see it played out. Who knows? This defense could be completely awful and we'll be like, wow, this is this is this is terrible. But I think seeing the things that we're seeing and hearing the things that we're hearing about the depth and how many quality guys are backing up the guys that we expect to start kind of makes you start to believe what is the ceiling for this team? What is what is the ceiling? Where could this team go? We'll talk about it next week. But I think the ceiling is higher than probably most people expect. I guess not because everybody's assuming we're going to be like, I guess, pretty good. But we could talk about that next week. But Nick, kind of give your final thoughts. I'm excited to see the actual depth chart. Let me tell you, seeing the amount, I had, I have it all written on a piece of paper of my mock depth. Writing all those names, 80-something names, was a hassle. Um, I wish I could do it off memory, but too many for that. Um, but listen, we get a 53-minute episode out of this thing. That's, I think that's amazing. That's great. We're back to the long-ass episodes. Well, first of all, I'm offended. You didn't, you didn't finish, you didn't finish. Oh, at all I knew you were going to say Colton Boomer again. Or get the, yes. No, I knew you, you were going to mention didn't. it. You didn't give. You didn't bring up my boy, my my boom boy. Well, let's and, quickly uh, do it because I think Colton <laughs> Boomer Colton will kick Boomer. field goals. I think Grant Reddick will be the kickoff guy, which he's. I mean, he was like the number right. one kicker in the class, so he'll be the guy that kicks off to save Colton Boomer's leg. And you have Mitch Mitch McCarthy, the the Australian punter, that will boom the boom the punts. That's all well, I got. That's all. That's all you need. I only, I only bring it up because we know how important special teams are, and you uh, never yeah. know. And, and I think uh, you know Colton Boomer's more than just a reliable option. I think he's a, a damn good kicker, in and the entire college football landscape. And I'm very excited. I hope the luscious locks never go away. I hope, I hope we're not kicking good. a lot of field goals. Uh, that's true. I just hope he makes the ones that we need to. Yep. <laughs> to be honest with you, so I had to get that in, but. <clears throat> No, in the in the just to in the broad stroke this the grand scheme of things here from this team um, defensively I think they're going to shock people a little bit more I don't think this is the the UCF teams that we've grown accustomed to where the offense is going to carry the load and the defense is going to be dragging them down a little bit I, I don't see that that's certainly not how it played out last year and I only think that the defense could get better. And I understand that with Addison Williams, there's going to be a little bit of changes, but I really don't think it's going to be that much different, to be honest with you. I think the Jimmys and Joes are still there for him, and I think he has a lot better to work with than I said the previous administration did in recent years. So I think the defense is definitely the strong point. Offense, we love the skill positions. A little bit of question marks on the offensive line, how that's all going to work together. Might be a work in progress, but I think it's a solid roster. How it's going to shape, how solid is it compared to the rest of the programs in the Big 12 is the big question mark here. If we were talking the AAC, we would be saying right away, this is the favorite to win the conference with this roster. How that translates to the Big 12, that remains to be seen. See, you're going to love me because we have a lot of homework to do for the next week because we need to kind of do mini previews for all of the teams when we do our predictions next week. Because I'm not just going to say... Listen, I get more excited. You're telling me, okay, I need you to read up on Oklahoma. I need you to read up on Kansas State. I need you to read up on Baylor. Okay. That gets me me out of bed a little bit than than reading up on on Tulsa and, and Temple and East Carolina. Like... 
I'm, I'm a little bit more jacked up for this season than recent ones. See, the first three games, it's going to be kind of a little bit like last season. We're going to have to get through Villanova. Boise will be fun to look through, uh, but Kent will State you, will be another one. I will I will, I will, will say this right now, and I don't care if you judge me. If you're asked, I'm not doing much work on Kent State and Villanova. I will not. I, I will respect get, that. I will, I will get familiar with the coaching staff. I will get familiar with the couple of standout players that I'm sure those programs have, but I am not doing a deep dive on their full offensive and defensive because I know UCF is going to blow those teams out. So I I fully understand that and I support that. The only thing I'll counter with is we kind of already know about like Cincinnati and Houston. So we can replace those study times with the Kent States and the Villanovas of the world, even though we're going to spend 20 minutes studying when we know like the score is going to be ridiculous and all the names that we studied might not even do anything. So I understand that aspect, but a lot of studying is going to have to get taken place over the next week. Cause I remember we did this for South Carolina state last year. I remember, <laughs> I remember we were, the studying. We were, we were going deep on, on South Carolina state. And then we went to the game and I don't think I heard any of these guys names throughout the entire broadcast. No, nope. Not one, but it was good to talk about where, where we got to. We, I promise you folks, we will not this year. I don't care what the score is. I don't care what the stats look like. I think we were way too hyped last year. It was just the excitement of starting the new podcast. Really pumped. Big win. We will not be going too crazy over beating Kent State 70-10. to 10. I'm not saying that's my prediction, but we will not be going too crazy over that. Just know, next week, back on the Charge On channel, we will have your complete schedule breakdown. Uh, we had our early, way too early predictions months ago. Months, months ago. Now you're going to get the real thing. We are doing a preseason deep dive on every single matchup, every single team. What we all predict that this season, best and worst, could really end up being. And Nick, I'm, I'm sure we'll get you on next week, right? We're, we're in football mode now. We're we're in full football mode, football and mode. I am I am here for you, buddy. I'm here. Let's do it. Well, please, thank you again for tuning in. Like I said earlier, please like, subscribe, share, do all that you do. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. And it is only 13 days away, guys. 13 days away from football getting kicked off. All right, everybody, this has been Charge On. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.